Welcome to this episode of the Terrier Talks podcast. I am Dina Roberts, Executive Director of Engagement and Annual Giving at Wofford College and one of your hosts. This podcast is a partnership between the Career Center and the Alumni Office at Wofford College. Speaking of the Career Center, Kurt, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks, Dina. I'm Kurt McPhail, and I'm the Executive Director of the Career Center and Office of Entrepreneurship and Innovation, and I'm excited to host this podcast as well. Before we jump into this podcast, I just have to say so much has changed since these were recorded. For example, we're recording these in separate places as we all deal with the global pandemic, and we have a new name. You may hear us talk about the space in these podcasts, but now we're officially the Career Center and the Office of Entrepreneurship and Innovation. Kurt, that's correct. So much is different since we originally recorded these. However, our goal is still the same, to provide an outlet to share the stories of the Wofford community. Former chaplain, Reverend Talmadge Skinner used to say, you don't just come to Wofford, you join Wofford. We are excited that you have joined us today. In today's episode, it includes an interview with Donovan Hicks, a 2018 graduate, who talks about his path from growing up in Spartanburg County to now being a student at Stanford Law School out in California. Welcome back to this episode of the Terrier Talks podcast. I'm Kurt McPhail. And I'm Dina Roberts. And we're excited to have a recent graduate from Wofford College, uh, Donovan Hicks, joining us. Yay. (laughs) Donovan, I appreciate it. You were just saying that um, you didn't come far to come to Wofford, so you grew up right down the street in Bowling Springs. Um, Talk a little bit about what made, what other colleges you were thinking about and what drew you to Wofford. Yes, it seems like long ago now, but yes, I grew up, born and raised, born in Springs, South Carolina, proud bulldog. Um, and I never thought that I would go to Wofford. I spent my whole life driving past Wofford and, you know, I thought, oh, that's a pretty campus. But um, when it came time to graduate, uh, my parents were like, you have got to tour. And, you know, my parents didn't go to college. And, you know, for me, the number one thing was, you know, being able to be affordable um, for my parents to making college affordable. Um, and there was something about from the first time I visited and toured, I thought everyone just really cared about me. Um, and that not only showed itself personally or socially, but also financially. And, um, you know, Wofford should have met the need in many ways. I was fortunate enough to become a Bonner Scholar here. Um, um, which really relieved any sort of debt that I would have. And that just, you know, made a school that I never thought I could afford a reality. And I was happy to go right down the street, live on campus. Um, and, and it was like best four years of my life, really, in, in a lot of ways. And I, I never, um, you know, people are always like, well, you know, your parents live down the street. Was that weird? But you know what? Wofford's, that Wofford bubble is re- real. And I lived on campus and uh, they, they left me alone. And so I had an authentic college experience. <laughs> Great. Well, um, tell us a little about your uh, time at Wofford, your studies, your involvement with activities. Yeah, so, you know, I like to, you know, uh, not have a lot of free time, I guess. Uh, so I, I was, I, I try to get involved a lot at Wofford um, I, from from the start. I cared a lot about this campus. And um, so I, I was a government and finance double major here, got a minor in accounting as well, but only because that was... Uh, doable I, I guess with the with the do with the finance degree um and uh that that was fantastic the double major part of Warford which was great and a lot of students do it and I, I'm a huge fan of it um and then I tried to get involved with a bunch of different things I, I did student government uh and obviously I was a Bonner scholar I was uh on the Warford admissions team I did uh judicial review whatever they call that I 
I, I, I can't, I can't remember half the stuff I did, but I tried to fill my time. And the thing is like, I'm not unique. Every Wofford student is doing that. And I think that's what makes Wofford great. When you thought about coming to Wofford and life after Wofford, when you came into college, what was your hope? I mean, when you thought about, Hey, this is what I want to do when I get out of college. Um, what'd you think about? And did that ever change along the way? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I think when I got to Wofford, my dreams expanded a lot. And, you know, partly because the professional development here and also the professors here uh, really invest in you. And they thought of opportunities that I would have never known of. And I, you know, I think I shared this with you, Kurt, but also I was a freshman and I, you know, I had all these passions and interests that really revolved around public policy and politics. And there was a few people who knew about that. Uh, there was a person in professional development who sort of told me about that, um, a scholarship um, that was to a conference at Harvard um, that was for freshmen and sophomores. They would take like 30, 40 students and they would tell you a lot about these opportunities. And they like emailed me about it. They said, come in, I want to tell you about this. And I was like, what? I don't know about this conference. It's Harvard. Like, I'm not going to get in. And I didn't get in that first year. Um, I didn't. I got all these recommendations together, wrote this statement. Um, I didn't get in, but that same person came back to me and said, look, you have got to apply for this, for this again. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Um, I'll do it. And I did it again, put in the same amount of work. Um, and I, I got it the second time. And that's really where my life really sort of changed. Um, and I went up to that conference. It was like a four or five day conference, not long at all. But the people that I met at that conference became some of my best friends over the next three to four years. Um, it introduced me to two of the three scholarships that I would go on and win in the next three to four years um, and really made the reality of, you know, policy career or career in law possible for me. It's something I never would have thought of in a million years. Um, you know, Wofford was very influential in that dream coming to true. Um, tell us a little bit about what your first stop after Wofford First step after Wofford. Well, uh, you know, I've always sort of been practical and, you know, I, you know, I definitely wanted to go to law school and I thought, what are the goals that I want to have uh, or want to accomplish before I get there? One of them was, you know, my family's not well off. I had no checkings, no savings, no credit uh, when I graduated Wofford, which is a thing that we can have a, a completely whole other segment on. Get credit, people. Um but I, you know, I said, I, I want to have a financially stable job, but I also want to learn. I want to be in a fast-paced environment. I want to learn a lot of different skills. Um, and that's when I heard about consulting, partly through Stanley Porter here, who's a trustee member, um, who had really created this pipeline for Wofford students to get to Deloitte Consulting. Uh, he had taught me about that, and I thought that was a fantastic opportunity. And so uh, I was lucky enough to go through the uh, really competitive and rigorous um, Selection process, ended up getting a job, moved to D.C., and that was my first job, Deloitte Federal Consulting, consulting for federal agencies. Don't ask me what that entails because it's really hard to explain to people. Um, They're always like, what, is that? what does that mean? Uh, but basically, we were solving problems, complex problems for the federal government that they didn't have the capacity to solve themselves. And that was a really exciting time. You, you work on several different projects, long, sometimes long-hour weeks, but really, really fruitful environment. Um, and I loved that work. Um, and that was, that was great, uh, for the time being, but then I had all these other interests that I wanted to, to do. And my two other goals were, you know, I still wanted to see the world because I never got to do a full study abroad here at Wofford. And I also wanted to 
entrench my uh, connections in the political and policy world in D.C. So I was like, if I stay at Deloitte, I can't do that. So then I left. <laughs> I'm interested, um, Donovan, you talk about the problem solving that you did at Deloitte. Um, we talk to employers all the time and they want employees who can solve problems, complex or not problem, complex or not. They just want folks who can solve problems and think for themselves and have critical thinking skills. It's one of the top eight competencies that we're looking at continuing to hone in with students. I'm curious if you think about your time at Deloitte and you think about your time at Wofford and the preparation that you got here to, to think critically and to solve problems is there a class or a project that comes to mind that you think, wow, that was what really prepared me? Or maybe it's a professor that that got me ready to, to not be daunted about trying to solve these complex problems with federal agencies. Well, I think Wofford students by and large are incredible cr critical thinkers. I think it's a, it's a liberal arts education. Focus on that. And Wofford does a good job of that. And I encourage students to always seek those out. But particularly, I think within, you know, social science and you know, in other fields at Wofford, that's really where you strengthen those skills. And it's great that we have genetic courses that people can take, but I was one of those students who tried to take a lot of those sort of different courses. But government was really incredible. I, I, there's a story I like to tell. Um, I took uh, several classes with Dr. DeMars, who's the chair of the government department. He'll appreciate this story. Um, and, you know, he was sort of known as like one of you know the tougher professors, um, grading wise, and all the government professors are equally challenging. But he, you know, he sort of had that um, that that mantra or mantle himself. And uh, there was a class, and I think it was, I think it was, I think it was African politics. And I had, I was determined to do well in this class. You know, there's no way I could graduate without taking a Demars class, although I tried uh, to to escape it, and he was infamous for this sort of 20-page research paper. And these are common at Wofford, so to have these long research paper, and I encourage students to definitely take those opportunities because that's when you really are put to the test. And so I chose this, you know, uh, I think I wrote about Botswana and so the diamond industry and so on and so forth, and I had all this research, and I had spent all this time crafting this beautiful, poetic paper. And particularly, I wanted that first paragraph to just be, you know, Hemingway-like. <laughs> And um, I was really proud of that paper. I turned that paper in, and Dr. Demars, um, and I, I, you know, I said, I said, this is gonna be, this is gonna be it, you know. And I'll never forget, I was a sophomore, and it was uh, like a late afternoon. I got an email from Dr. Demars with this paper grade, and I was crushed. I think I got like the worst grade I ever got. I think it was like a D on the paper. It was awful. Um, and I was really dramatic, even more than I am now at that point. So I was uh, I put on a show for my, my, my roommate at that point, who I still apologize to this day for that for that day. Um, but I I was crushed. And, you know, Dr. DeMars basically said, you know, the critical thinking here isn't where it needs to be. You know, this is not uh, English paper. This is a paper where you need to present your ideas and communicate them in a way that are clear and understandable. And I think you have the right idea. But I don't know where you're going with this paper. It doesn't have structure. It doesn't have a message. And I said, oh, my gosh, like, really? Like, long story short, I, I begged him for another opportunity to write that paper. And he said, you know, I'll, I'll give it to you. And, and that's another testament to the incredible professors we have at Wofford. And he helped me through that and taught me through it and said, look, you got to have clear sentences. you got to really 
think of, of me the reader and really you know think about what you want to say and say it in a clear way and I, I ended up doing that and um, I think I ended up get regraded that paper got an A on that paper and you know it's not a testament to me it's really a testament to Warford but really thinking about the professors putting critical thinking at the top of their priority list. And so I'm always a fan of students really seeking out those opportunities and writing those tough papers. Don't stray away from those tough classes because I think that's where I learn the most. You talked a little bit about, you know, making the decision to, to leave Deloitte. And, you know, I think sometimes um, young adults, you know, feel like they have to be on a particular path and they're on that path and, and kind of there's a little bit of fear to do that. What drive drives you or, or drove you then to just say, okay, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do something different? That's a really great question. And I think, you know, the younger generation really struggles with that. Like sort of when do I know when to leave? Um, and the truth is, and this may be a lawyer answer for me, but it depends. And it really depends on you. For me, the metric has always been when I feel, when I start to feel comfortable, that's when it's time for me to leave. That's when it's time for me to go. Because you think, you know, when you get comfortable in a job, your thirst or desire to grow and to learn more really sort of um, wanes. And you don't, you know, uh, you know, want the same things. And by definition, when you stop being hungry at work, that's when you stop being great at work. And you sort of open yourself up for other people to uh, sort of excel you. And I think, you, you really can't allow that to happen in your 20s. You really got to sort of have a fire on you, and that's when you really should be trying to learn as much as you can. And so I've always sort of had that that theory, but it's always been hard to leave. Um, but another thing that has always motivated me is like having a clear set of goals of what you want. And for me, the North Star was always like, I want to go to law school. And if I'm going to go to law school, then I want to accomplish all these goals that I think that are important to me before I go. And so sort of a mixture of like having the goals and also sort of having a sort of sense of when you're getting too comfortable is always when has been the trigger for me to that's when it's time to go. But it's always hard and it's always difficult and it really depends on the person. Um, but you always got to keep those things in mind. Um, but I've always been really grateful for, for, for doing those things. If it's hard, that means you're going to grow tremendously. So you left Deloitte. Yep. Um, talk a little bit about what you did and, yep. uh, what the, I mean, I love this concept of, hey, this is my North Star. Um, I want to go to law school. I've got to do some other things. I want to do some other things. I've, I feel like I need to do some other things. Um, and interesting to talk about how your next step after Deloitte, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that and how that played into your sort of North Star analogy. That's a great question, Kurt. I, you know, well, I think the funniest part of that story is that when I came and I told my hardworking parents that I was going to leave this well-paying job to go study in a foreign country. I was going to make, make no money. I, I, that wasn't a good conversation. <laughs> um, and you know, I still remember that conversation to this day. Um, so part of this is you got to know what's best for you. And that means you might have some tough conversations with the people who love you most. And for me, that was with my parents and not everyone's going to understand your path, but you got to have the courage and the confidence to know what your path is and what's best for you. So I did have that tough conversation. My parents did support me and I left Deloitte and I said, you know, I really want to travel and see the world. And there's a set of fellowships that are available to students that I think are incredible um, opportunities for students to grow personally and also uh, be challenged intellectually. And uh, there's these postgraduate fellowships. And so, um, 
you know, among them, people I've heard, there's Rose Marshall, Mitchell, Gates Cambridge, Schwartzman, there's a whole set of them, Fulbright, um, that are really aimed at getting, you know, students who really want to um, have a specific interest area and don't have a problem with sort of learning in another country, an opportunity to do that. And uh, for me, the program that I thought was the best fit was a program called Mitchell Scholarship. It was named after Senator George Mitchell, who was a former um, majority leader in the Senate uh, during his time in the in the 90s. He brokered the infamous uh, Good Friday Agreement with Northern Ireland and Ireland, uh, which made him you know sort of a household name and definitely famous in diplomatic circles, um, who had this incredible legacy in Ireland. And this scholarship was his namesake. Um, so it's been around for 15, 20 years now, I think, at this point. And uh, it was an opportunity to, to sort of go and study in Ireland. And there was this program at Trinity, which is the oldest university in Ireland, in Dublin, that was really interesting to me. It was uh, about uh, racial and ethnic conflict. And at that point, and at this point in my life, I'm always thinking deeply about racial justice and social inequality. Uh, those questions have sort of never left my brain. And I think in this time in America, they're even more important. Um, and I really, really wanted to sort of bake those questions. And um, so I said, you know, look, I'll throw my hat in the ring for this. Uh, Wofford had never had a Mitchell Scholar. And, you know, for some reason, I just love to just do things that seem hard. I don't know why. Um, but I said, you know, might as well try. Um, and, you know, I was blessed to win and, and, and get sort of get the scholarship. They choose 12 Americans. And that was an incredible year in, in my life um, just to be in the circle of so many other smart people, but to really just spend a year thinking about really hard and tough, tough questions. Um, and it was fantastic. And, you know, the benefit also was I got to see the world and I got to travel. And so just personally, I grew tremendously, but also intellectually, um, I was challenged in a lot of ways. And so it was a really incredible year. Okay, so what was next after that? <laughs> yeah, this this is sort of because I doubt you just went straight to sleep. After I know, right? This is the meandering road that won't quit. Um, but um, so after that year, I came back and I was writing my thesis, um, which really had to do a lot with you know sort of police brutality in the states. Actually, I focused it on South Carolina, and so I came back home to write write it, uh, which was a really tough and challenging process. But after that, I said, you know. Um, you know, I really want to be back in D.C. I had an incredible time in D.C. And so I said, well, you know, my third goal, if we're keeping on track, was to um, sort of uh, get more interested in policy and politics. And um, and so I did that. So after I did I left, uh, after I finished my dissertation, I moved back to D.C. And I was working for um, Georgetown Center on Poverty, which was like a small think tank, which is very common in D.C. Think tanks are um, places that deal with um specific questions and, and problems. And I think for any person at Wofford who cares about sort of policy, politics, then think tanks are where you should be. It's a really incredible place to learn. Uh, some of the smartest people in the, in the country sort of nest out in think tanks, um, answering these these problems. And so I was at Center, uh, Georgetown Center on Poverty thinking about a lot of these sort of really nuanced issues around poverty uh, and inequality. Um, and I, I was there for a short bit. Um, and then I transferred over to another think tank, was the Center for American Progress. It was, it was the largest think tank on the progressive left, and it was really um, an incredible time there as well. It, you know, it was a historic time, you know, uh, there we were um, championing a lot of the big ideas that you see now on the Democratic uh, field, um, and it was just in an electric environment. I really got understood D.C. a lot better about how ideas were formed 
and um, sort of the nuance of each idea. So it was an, uh, a really incredible, incredible time for me. Yep. That's awesome. Um, the North Star had always been law school. Yep. And and that's if I'm if I'm thinking right, yep. that's the next. Yeah. That's what's next for you. Yes. Yes. Um, and and I know because we've talked, but I'd love for you to talk a little bit about it. Um, you had done a couple of think tanks. You achieved the goal of hey, I want to understand about DC and policy. Mm-hmm. Um, shifted focus to law school. Yeah. Um, spent the summer in DC working with a with a major law firm. I'd love yep. for you to talk a little bit about that and the program, and then. Um, Tell everybody where you're going next after that. Yeah, and, uh, sure. and then we can kind of talk about that whole application process because I know that wasn't – I mean, you said earlier you don't like to do things the easy way. That's, yeah, uh, that's, that's not, a problem. It's <laughs> a problem. We can talk about that another time too as well. But, um, yeah, so, you know, look, there are so many incredible opportunities for students. And, you know, a lot of these opportunities I found out just by talking to people but also by researching and asking people and, and doing my own due diligence. So, you know, for students, I'm always like – you know, once you figure out what gets you out of bed in the morning, you know, do your work, do your homework, figure out what are the opportunities that will allow you to progress in that area. And that's always been my sort of thing. Um, so in doing that, I found out about this program called SEO. It stands for Seizing Every Opportunity. I never heard of it before. But all of my friends who were going to law school were doing it. And it's a program for students of color, particularly underrepresented minorities um, who are going to top law schools to get this incredible opportunity this summer before you start to work at a law firm, to meet other students who are going to top law schools, to get all these skills and development about how to be successful. Once you're in law school, sort of this boot camp and um you know legal success and they were they spoke so hollow they said Donovan you got to do you got to do it and so I did I applied for it um and it was one of the most incredible programs I've ever done it was a 10-week program two weeks you spend you know sort of learning a lot of these skills and eight weeks you're at your firm and the firms are across the country um and there was a hundred other uh, 18 people who had did it this year and these were just phenomenal people who had all had these quirky paths to, to the legal field that I had also had and um, had their own passions. Um, it, it was a really phenomenal um, opportunity, and I learned a ton. I did my summer at Jenner and Block in D.C., which is a law firm known for its Supreme Court work. It's done a lot of historic cases, so it's incredible to be with so many brilliant attorneys there, um, you know. Yeah, I didn't always feel smart, but I always felt <laughs> um, felt challenged. And, you know, I think the number one thing that's always keep me going is that, like, you know, when you're in those sort of environments where you're all around all these people who are ambitious, you, you know, your inspiration tank is refilled. And that's what's always kept me going is always trying to keep my inspiration tank refilled. And so uh, never let that die down um, because that's what that's what really, really keeps you keeps you going. Oh, yeah. And so next, next step. So, yeah, I, I chose SEO and I did that after 10 weeks. And so at that point, I had, I had committed to Stanford Law School, which is where I'll be going in the fall. Um, and uh, it's really a dream come true for me and my family. Uh, I'm obviously a first generation college student and the first person in my family to be, become an attorney. Um, and um, I just never in a million years. And so you asked that question earlier about what did you think when you came to Wofford? And I did not think. And when I came to Wofford, that I would be going to Stanford Law. And it just shows you um, that anything is possible. Anything is possible. So It's a great path. I mean, it really is. And I, I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, 
I'm intrigued to ask a little bit more about your inspiration tank. Um, our hope is that students and alums of all different ages are, are listening. And I think that's such a valuable concept to think about, you know, how do you keep your inspiration tank? And um, I'm curious what advice you'd have for, you know, maybe students who are just coming to, to Wofford, maybe students who got a D on their first paper. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I came to Wofford wanting to be an accountant and I've, I've failed accounting miserably and <laughs> I, I didn't graduate as an accounting major. So I know that that challenge, but, but what's your advice? What are a couple of things that you think folks could do to constantly keep their inspiration tank full? Yeah, it's a big question. I mean, you know, you got to figure out who your role models are. You really do. You got to think about that really intimately about who is the person that you hear their story and it excites you up. So I'll give you two of mine it's for an example. So a lot of people make fun of me about this, but it's really true. So one of them is Serena Williams. Mm. And people are like, you know, Tommy, you don't play tennis. And I'm like, I know. And they're like, also, you're too short to play tennis. And I was like, I know. You know, you don't have to tell me that. Thanks. Um, but actually, uh, my best friend in college introduced me to Serena Williams my sophomore year. And he would always be watching her. And I was like, what? why are you always watching tennis? I had heard of Serena, of course, but never really knew her story. And he sort of told me about it. And she quickly became a person that was just a source of inspiration for me. Because you think about her story, a person who so many times in her career, people had counted her out. She has had injury after injury. She won her first Grand Slam at 17. And people sort of thought that she would just be this young phenom, a sort of wane. And here she is at 37, um, still the top of her game. Most Grand Slam championships of any person in the open era. And she's in the U.S. Open in a few weeks, which everyone should watch, so that she uh, hopefully will tie Steffi Graf and, um, well, break Steffi Graf's record um, and break Margaret Court's record. I'm sorry. All the Serena fans out there are going <laughs> to hate me for butchering that. Break Margaret Court's record. Um, but she, I just admired her so much because she was a person that had just incredible work ethic and really sort of had this dream and didn't let anyone count her out and had this just fire under her. And I said, what would it look like if we all just had a piece of that? What would it look like if we all just woke up every morning and just believed in ourselves to that extent, despite what anyone else had to say about us? And um, that's really what it takes. You know, she was a young black girl, her and her sister in a very predominantly white sport that um, wasn't accepted. And that's a lot of imposter syndrome. And even for me, I'm a small kid from a um, small town kid from Bone Springs. And, you know, I've been in a lot of elite circles and I felt that imposter syndrome a lot. So, you know, looking up to Serena was always sort of an opportunity for me to, you know, believe in myself and, you know, never doubt um, what I feel like, you know, the opportunities that I feel like God has given me. Um, another, you know, person um, of inspiration, I, and I try to find a lot of them, um, you know, or, or sort of people I thought in the legal field that I, I really looked up to. And, you know, the, the, that list is really, really long. And I sort of put them all together as sort of change makers. And it's everyone from um, Vanita Gupta, Loretta Lynch, Brian Stevenson, you know, so many people who I found out their stories. And there were people who I thought I had um, a similar drive to. There were people whose mission in life I could get behind. What I found from having all of those role models is that, um, that what really kept them going was having a purpose behind their work. And for me, that's what I really try to discover. It's like, 
you forget about the elite, forget about the competition, forget about all these prestigious things, because those things are fickle and fleeting and will never fulfill you. But if you have a purpose, a deeper purpose in what you're trying to do, what is your what is your mission? What is your thing that you believe in? That's what keeps you going. That's what makes all of this worth it. That's what makes really life worth it. And um, that's what I found out at an early age. And that's what I've always tried to keep going. And so my inspiration take is really about the role models that I've had in my life. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Yep. When you become a motivational speaker, can I be your agent? <laughs> exactly. Sign me up. <laughs> oh, boy. What's um, So what do you... What do you think is going to be the things you miss from back east when yeah. you hit the big California? Yeah. Yeah. I never thought I would go to law school in California. So it's, it's really um, a change for me. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's so many things to love about. There's, there really is an East Coast, West Coast dynamic. And it is uh, a different, uh, different worlds. Um, but, I, you know, one thing I really love is, like, you know, exposing myself to, like, different places. I think it makes you a well-rounded person. And, you know, I'm I'm a little hot strong. I think that's the East Coast vibe, you know. It's, uh, maybe not the Southern vibe. If you go a little North, it, it's, it's, it's definitely a little high strong. People who are ambitious, people who have goals, and that's great. People who are committed to their careers. Um, but, you know, I think West Coast vibe is, you know, it can have those things, but people really enjoy life. And they sort of see life as for what it is and have these really big ideas of what society can be. Um, and that's, and it's always good to be in those environments too. So I'm hoping that I can bring a little high strong and mix it with the, with the sort of a holistic uh, view of life and maybe it'll make me a better person. Well, Donovan, I have no doubt that whatever you do, you'll be successful. And that's I appreciate you sharing some time with us today. Um, I look forward to following your path and maybe we'll have you back in a couple of years and see where are the other, mm. other dots and, uh, and, and in pursuit of that North star. So yeah. thank you for your time. Thank you for what you do. And, uh, Best of luck when you head out to the West Coast. Oh, thank you so much. Tear your pride all the way. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you will continue to listen and share with all your Wofford connections. If you know of a member of the Wofford community whose story should be told, please email us at alumni at wofford.edu or careercenter at wofford.edu. There are some people who we have to thank that all made this possible. Thanks to student interns, Katie Husselby and Naya Lutz for being a critical part of getting this podcast started and recorded. Also thanks to Creative by Design for audio editing and enhancing.